So why are you really here? And what are you creating? I'm Ryan Lilly, and for the last decade, I've helped people to overcome their fears, to pursue their passions, to reconnect with their innate creativity, and to become successful entrepreneurs. I'm a huge fan of personal development and have studied under people like Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, and Gary Vee, to name just a few. But now I'm taking the leap myself. I'm crossing the coals, and I'm finding out what it means to live life on purpose. Let's turn your fears into a new purpose. This is the Fear and a Purpose podcast. Okay, welcome everybody to episode four of the Fear and a Purpose podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to inspirational people who have been able to overcome fears in their lives in order to pursue their purpose. And today I am excited to have with me Debbie Lincoln. Debbie is a strategic breakthrough coach and a divorce preventionist as part of that. She's also a longtime trauma drug counseling therapist and has helped people overcome lots of different kinds of addictions in her life. So Debbie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ryan. It's such a pleasure. I feel so honored to, that you asked me to come on this podcast. And Debbie and I have been friends. We've uh, crewed before for Tony Robbins. And a few years ago, we crewed in Miami together at a, a big UPW. Uh, that's a Tony Robbins event that took place there. And so uh, Debbie's, like I am, a big part of the uh, crew community for Tony Robbins. Absolutely. I remember, I remember, Ryan, when I first met you in our hometown where I went, oh, my God, there's somebody in this town that loves Tony Robbins. Where is he? I got to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, for a great. while, we had a, a community group of, uh, of people who met at a local restaurant and talked about not only Tony Robbins, but also other personal development speakers and, and really came together as part of that. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. So it Debbie, was starting out, kind of tell everybody that's listening a little bit about your story, um, your growing up, your childhood, and then how you got into what you're doing now. Okay. Uh, a little bit, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, thank you very much for um, inviting me. I really do appreciate it. And I'm going to dive into probably the beginning, of course, I grew up in um, a, outside of a town in Boston, Mass. I had two sisters and a brother. And my father was a lawyer and a colonel in the Marines. And my, unfortunately, my mother was a stay-at-home mom, and um, she drank daily. And that that's the sad part. But anyways, um, so she really had issues by the time I was born, um, she, her addiction had gotten pretty bad. And, and the first thing that I think I heard, my inner critic, what words I took on and the beliefs that I took on was that I was not good enough. Uh, she hated me and she let me know it. Um, she used to beat me. And uh, the, the part of, my, I remember saying to myself, oh, I don't understand. I thought you were supposed to love me, you know? And, and so that, that core of what a child needs, that was really hard for me. I know that. And then I heard just recently, probably in the past year, my sister told me that I was left in the crib um, daily until she got home. And when she got home, she found me, you know, I was probably quite the mess. <laughs> I get it. And um, I was like, really? Wow. Okay. And so I, I guess she was probably a big part of bringing me up. Um, the unfortunate thing is that it didn't get better. <clears throat> and um, when I was 
six years old, I remember my mother throwing me out of the house. I'll never forget it. It's like clear as day for me today. She threw me out of the house. I was six. And I remember that big door starting to shut. And as soon as it shut, I went, <sighs> like, I, like I felt safe and, and I could breathe. And I went into this hollow tree that we had in the front yard and I stayed there and I was fine until my sister got home. I had this sense of peace and serenity. I could hear the birds and I wasn't scared. That, that's the weird part that, you know, I wasn't scared. So I know I was blessed somewhere. And, that, and that's part of that blessing. Unfortunately, it, you know, it didn't get better. She really, um, her addiction got really bad and uh, so didn't I. And I ended up about when I was 12 years old, like leaving, never coming home, um, always staying downtown, hanging out with the wrong crowd. And then I can remember, I must, yeah, I was 13. And this one guy says to me, hey, you want to you have fun? And I went, I, I, I guess so, you know, like, and the next thing I know, he was shooting me up with heroin. Um, that was like the beginning of nothing. Like, I loved it because I didn't feel any pain, not, nothing. And it, there was my addiction. I could have started off with alcohol. No, I have to start off with heroin. I don't, uh, I did that backwards. Um, and by the grace, I'm still alive today. You know, that's, that's the amazing part. So my mother died when I was, uh, shortly after I started the heroin, probably almost when I was 14, and from cirrhosis of the liver. And so the whole family kind of fell apart. My brother was a drinker. He was angry. My father was never home. And so... What happened after that was that I ended up getting arrested and going to court for truancy because I didn't go to school. And so when we get into court, they were like, well, let's just mention the day she was in school because that's much less than the day she wasn't. And I was like, oh, here we go. And so I ended up being sent to reform school when I was 14 and uh, I got out when I was 16. And when I got out, the reason I got out was because my father had told the school that I, he was getting married. So I had a mom to go home to. And um, he took me out one weekend to go meet my family. And when we pull into the driveway, there's this hearse sitting in the driveway. And I'm like, righty, this is going to be fun. And he said, oh, that's a friend's car. And I'm like, all right, okay, dad. And we end up going in and there's no furniture but a band in the living room i'm like all right this is great and then the next thing i know my brother stepbrother uh, gave me acid and i was um off and running with drugs again and and that's the sad part um i i was doing so good i gotta drink um because in probably it was the second year i was in reform school I remember saying to myself, Deb, just do it. You're here. Just do it. Give it all you got. And so I ended up starting to get awards. So I felt that feeling of what it would be like to be successful, you know, getting an award, even though I didn't have family there, I felt it from the, from when I, they announced my name. So when I got out and I saw this, I was going into this dysfunction again. And 
you know, I'm 16. I'm like, oh, here we go. And it was the 70s. And she, he married a woman with eight kids. So there's a house full of 12 children. And we're all pretty dysfunctional. And I was just like, Ugh. and of course, I'm the one that just got out of reform school. So they were like, oh, Debbie, she's just trouble and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, I can't do this. So I moved out. Um, I wasn't there but six months. And I went and got a room. And I ended up, I never went to high school. I just quit school and um, got a job at a sandpaper factory. And that was another success for me. And I enjoyed it. I really did. And then um, I met my husband and I ended up getting married when I was 18 and um, had my son, Mike. Uh, I was 20 and we were, he was pretty controlling. And I, and I just, I was like a, you know, wild little stallion. I couldn't, don't, don't corral me. <laughs> and uh, I ended up, we split up. And unfortunately, when we split up, he ended up taking my son from me. And my father, who was a lawyer, believed what he said and took his side and helped him get custody of my son. That was probably a, the hardest thing that I had to hear. Um, I remember my lawyer calling me saying, Deb, sit down. And I went, no, no. When people tell me that, it's not good news. No. And, and he said, I've never had to tell someone this, but your father paid off the judge. And I said, okay, well, um, whatever. And when I left, I remember just saying, I'm, I don't belong here. I, I just don't belong here. And um, the pain was so great that I ended up trying to commit suicide. And um, I ended up in the hospital. And I remember being in the hospital and I got so mad at myself, like, what are you doing, Debbie? I mean, I remember looking at my arms going, what are you doing? What are you doing? They win if you do that. And I got mad enough where it really motivated me to, to say, uh-uh, I'm going to get my kid back and you all can take a hike because I'm not doing this anymore. And so I ended up, um, a friend of mine, we ended up um, being, become partners in a kitchen in the back of a bar in Boston. And uh, <laughs> on one side was the Mickey Mouse club and the other side was, I don't know, there were strip joints, you know, so I was right in the middle of a really good place. And it was actually very nice because we took care of the girls, the ones that were strippers and, and um, fed them. And it was a safe place for them. And uh, I remember a, a woman uh, coming in and she was so beautiful. Oh, she was so beautiful. And she wanted to really get out of what she was doing. And, um, I was like, I'll help you, you know, like go get your GED and we'll get you out and you go to college. And she really wanted to be a teacher. And she did. She, her mom loved it. She was like, Oh, I'm so happy. You know, she's doing something good for herself. And unfortunately, um, he, she came in, she was gone for two weeks and I couldn't find her. <clears throat> and um, it ended up where she came in and she had lost uh, two of her fingers because she her, had a pimp and he cut her fingers off. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I lost it on that one. I was like, oh my God, I felt so bad. And she said, no, 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 don't feel bad because I'm out. I'm, it might've cost me two fingers, but 
I'm out and thank you. And I was like, all right, I guess I won't go into that guilt and shame and oh my God, what did I do? I caused someone's life, you know, hardship. And you know, that inner critic in my head was always very loud and I, and I tried to shut it up, but it was, it overpowered me all the time. Um, so what did I do after that? Oh, so then what I ended up doing was I made 15 to 20,000. That was my goal. So I could furnish an apartment and get my son back. And I did, I, I did it. I accomplished that. I furnished an apartment and I went up to the ex and said, all right, I want him back. Like, you know, like this is not happening anymore. And he said, no, you have to take him because he's just so miserable without you. So how long so, was that between when you had your son taken away and when you were able to get him back again? Two years. Okay. Wow. Long yeah, time. Two, two years. Um, and what had happened was he, he took off. Um, I knew where he was the first six months and, and I'd see Mike and, but after that he took off and I said, well, where is he? And no one would tell me where he was. Well, then a friend told me they, they heard that he moved to a certain town and he had a multicolored van. So I knew I could find him. So I got a, a copy of the map of the town and uh, it took me six months, but I went left at midnight every night and went through every street until I found him. Um, took me six months. Wow. And I found him at um, five o'clock in the morning. And when I, you know, like when I saw his van, I just broke. I just, I just broke. I just broke. Um, and shortly after that, I saw him come out of the house and he left for work, I guess. And so I, I pulled up and just kind of knocked on the door and told his little friend, which was our babysitter, um, get my son because he's coming home with me. And um, that, that was the start of that big fight between us. But um, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not letting this go. I'm, I, he's my son, I want him back. So the blessing is that there was some kind of determination inside me that I wouldn't give up on, on half the stuff I was doing. Like, I mean, I, I've seen horrendous stuff in my lifetime and I just, I don't know, by the grace, I'm still here. That, that's the amazing part. Um, so then my youngest son, I have two boys, and my youngest son, um, what happened was my sister talked my kids into moving to Georgia because it was better for them being there with her instead of up here with me and um, uh, whatever. And so I have this little uh, about my sister and I know that I've worked through it and it's been hard, but I've worked through it and, and I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to totally forgive her. I mean, I've, I've forgiven her because I have to for me. But to forgive her, we're, um, we're buddy buddy, I can't do that. So um, what happened was my youngest son ended up getting addicted. And um, I saw him one day and I said, oh my God, what is going on? Like he's bad, like really bad. So I went down to Georgia and um, he was, he was going to die if I didn't do something. He was going to die. And so, you know, my sister was fighting me the whole time. And I'm like, look, just please just go with me on this. Don't say a word to him, but we're going to do an intervention. Because he had, I knew he wouldn't go in on his own. And he had two dogs. So I had to find a facility that took dogs. 
So I'm looking everywhere and I finally find the refuge in um, Florida. And so um, we did the intervention and he said, I can't go. I got my dogs. And I went, oh, no, 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 the dogs can go with you. And he was like, oh, like he couldn't get out of it because of the dogs. Um, I said, I don't care if you hate me because I love you enough. I can't lose you. And if, if I have to have you hate me for now and you're still alive, I'll do it. So what um, the interventionist told me that he said the whole time, the go to the airport, fly to Florida, the whole time he kept saying, I don't belong here. My mother does. I don't belong here. My mother does. And uh, it, it could have been true. And so that weekend when he left, that he left on a, a Tuesday. When he left, I realized that there was a uh, event going on downtown uh, Georgia and it had Tony Robbins, um, Donald Trump and Robert Kiyosaki. And I said, I'm going, I'm going to that. I want to go to that. I need to go to that. And it was cheap enough that, you know, like we don't hear of it anymore, you know, being cheap that way. So I ended up going. And this was like a personal development seminar? Absolutely. It, well, it was actually meant for real estate, but it ended up being a personal development. Like when Tony came on and Robert, it, it was total personal development. Like I was, there was um, a Chinese man in front of me and we were in awe. We were just like, oh, wow, that's really good stuff. And, and so we were having fun because we were learning so much. And when I got home um, that Sunday night, I'll never forget it. When I got home that Sunday night, I stood under this oak tree and I just stood there and went, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't live this life anymore. I'm, I, I'm done. I'm tired. And um, my neighbor who I'd have a cocktail with at happy hour, she calls me and says, you coming over? And I went, yeah, I'll be over in a few. And I went in and grabbed the soda out of the refrigerator and went over to her house. And she said, uh, what do you got in there? And I went, soda she went are you putting something in there and i went nope don't feel like it and i went that's so weird like i don't want to drink i mean i drank every day happy hour one drink every day every day um you know even though i had stopped the heroin in my 20s it didn't mean that you know i talked myself into saying well you can drink you don't have a problem and and that was stupid because i did <laughs> um but i know now why i had the problem and it is across the board that people that have addictions usually have something happen to them when they were younger and uh, trauma, you know, what some people say, Oh, I didn't have any trauma, but a lot of times people might think they didn't have trauma. And it could have been just one word someone said to a six, seven, eight year old, and they took that on as their own and owned it. You know, and that's where that inner critic was born. I'm not good enough. I don't matter. And I'm not worthy. And that's what I learned um, that I had, of course, been given that belief by my mother. And but I also learned from Tony that I don't have to keep it. I can give it back, throw it away, put it in a spaceship, whatever, because Tony was big on metaphors. So I love Tony so much that I ended up. <clears throat> taking his training. But what, what had happened was my son, when he was in, in this facility, uh, the first family week when I went, he, the owner 
um, had put me in the middle with all these families and said, go ahead, Matt, what do you want to tell your mother? And I was like, oh no, here it goes, here it goes. Mom, you need to go to rehab. And he doesn't realize that I had already stopped drinking because I had gone to that event with Tony. And, and you know, just to help him and please him, I said, I'll go, I'll go. When you get out, I'll go. And so the day that he got out, I went in to the same facility that he was at. And I, and just so I could probably reground myself that I mean seriously I, I really got um it's on 90 acres and it's beautiful and you know it's very spiritual too so I I needed that and um then I think I was there three months and and the funny part was that they said Debbie you need to cry and I went no I don't cry I don't cry it won't happen because I had learned that crying was dangerous so I just never cried. And it's funny because it's a really good human emotion we have now. I know that. And um, so, so what do you mean when, when you had learned that crying was dangerous and expressing your emotions? But in what ways was it dangerous for you? Well, because when I was when I would cry when I was younger, my mother would beat me even more. Um, I'll give you something to cry about. And um, that just made me realize that. Mm -mm, don't cry because it's not, it will, it will hurt. And so that human emotion that's natural for us just became unnatural for me. And um, we were in this music therapy group and this one therapist who's dying to get me, but she was playing some Led Zeppelin. I was like, yeah, some Led Zeppelin, you know, and I was going along with the Led Zeppelin. And all of a sudden she put on Mary McLaughlin, Angels. Oh! I just, I mean, the tears flowed. They were like, Debbie Lincoln's crying. And they're running over to me and I went, oh, don't get too close or I'll stop. And so that was a really big deal for me to let go of that, to release that, to release the pain. It wasn't going to kill me. And, and, but I thought it was. I thought if I feel all these feelings, it's going to kill me. But it didn't. It didn't, actually. And it felt really good afterwards. Like I felt a thousand pounds lighter and and it it was a big big jump for for me to go from knowing that i had something but having myself allow myself to cry that was a big breakthrough you know i thought i was breaking down and what i was doing was breaking through you know i mean that that was just that was just really weird that i'm not breaking down i'm actually having a breakthrough and i can make this so i ended up um, leaving and the woman that owned the place said, I'll see you in a year. And I went, yep, see you in a year. Cause I'm going to get a job there. Um, so I did, I ended up going back a year later and became a house manager and started working there. And then, um, I realized I heard that Tony Robbins had, um, partnered up with Chloe Madans, who's a renowned therapist. Her husband was Jay Haley. He's the one that came up with strategic family therapy. And so they became partners and put this training together. And it was Robbins Mundane's training. So I took it. And it's, it's 50 million videos of Tony doing interventions. And you have to watch him so intently of how he's doing things. Because for me, that's what I wanted to learn, was how can we help people in, in a way that it's not going to take forever. I was 50 years old. I mean, I almost didn't make it. Like, I feel so blessed because I'm on the other side. 
I see the light and, and, and I want to be able to share that with others. Um, so I took that training and then um, I was told that I have to go to school. And I said, well, I didn't go to high school. So I don't know what you want me to do. So I ended up going and get my GED. And then I ended up going and getting into college and I got my bachelor's. And then uh, they said, well, why don't you go get your master's? I said, you know what, I think I will. I'll go get my master's because for my whole life, I thought I was stupid because people used to call me that all the time. So I believed that I was, that identity. And so I ended up, um, my, I tell the family I'm going in and get my master's and they were like, <clears throat> Deb, you're not going to make it. Why are you doing that? And I went, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not listening to you peeps. I'm going for it and I'm going to make it. So I ended up um, going into the master's and I got my master's in mental health counseling. And, um, but I didn't, I'll tell you, I got more out of Tony's training than I did any college. And, and that's sad. That's kind of sad to say what they're teaching today for therapy. Um, there's some really good therapy out there, but we could do a lot better. A lot better. So, um, what are what are some uh, fundamental ways that uh, therapy differs, like what they teach you in a college versus what you learn through RMT training and Tony's methods? I know uh, it's a it's a kind of a complex question, but what's one of the main ways that those two are different? Um, <clears throat> one of the big things is labels. Um, we I don't like labels. Um, I don't I don't believe in them because when someone puts a label on someone, it, it can almost become their identity. So <clears throat> if you have a depressive disorder, then that becomes your identity. And some people will live by that identity. And, and in a strange way, our brain will create, create that happening. Like um, I, they said I was bipolar and I was like, no, I'm not bipolar. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, but some people but, choose to believe that and it becomes a self-reinforcing belief. Right, right. And, and, and you live by that. You know, like you look it up, you see what the, <clears throat> what the diagnosis is and what the symptoms are. And before you know it, you are. You're living that, that way of life. And, and that's the sad part is that I wish we would get rid of those, you know, those labels. But insurance um, tells us different. They need those identities and those labels and those diagnoses to pay. And, um, <clears throat> and I'm pretty bad about um, being compliant with the DSM, which is, you know, the book that it has all of our disorders. Like, it's huge. I'm like, how can human beings have that many disorders? Come on, really? <laughs> um, and so, I, of course, I'm still a rebel, right? But... I'm a loving rebel and and all I want to do is is to really be able to help others that have gone through or are struggling because I've got this ability I've, I've a gift it was given to me that I stay alive I mean I used to walk over people that had overdosed and died I mean I used to walk over them that's like oh really and and so when I think back about what it what I went through and what I'm doing today, I'm like, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I, I feel very blessed that I was able to survive and get through that. And it helps so much more that you went through it yourself, that you have that, that personal experience, uh, that you know where 
your clients are coming from with their addictions because you've, you've been through them yourself. Yes, absolutely. They think I have a head behind my, they think I have eyes behind my head. And I went, no, I just done there, done that. And, and I'll challenge them where um, a lot of other therapists won't like I'm very real and I'm very honest and I'm, and I'm, but I'm going to do it with love. I'm going to tell you the truth that maybe you took on an identity that's not yours and it, and it doesn't belong to you anymore. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could get rid of it and think that the world's your oyster. You can do whatever you want in this world. Anything. Do we all realize that? That we could do anything we want in this world? Like, I'm like, woohoo, yeah, let's go. I'm ready. Because, I mean, I never thought there was. I didn't think I had options. I always thought I was going to live this way for the rest of my life until I die. And I always thought I was going to die early. And here I am, 63 years old, and I'm not dead yet. (laughs) Defy the odds, Tony would put it, right? Now, is another way that the two types of approaches differ, is it a time? So with traditional counseling, don't you sort of sit down and you with a counselor and you're going through your story over and over and over versus with your method and, and with RMT and Tony's method, it's more about getting out of your story, right? Right. It's, it, and what I realized is that, you know, you, you've got to get that story out and, and not stay in it. You know, you've got to be able to be validated. There's so many that, that we, I realize that we've got to validate to say how sorry I am that you went through all that pain. I'm so sorry. But what if you were able to get through it and start living and stop suffering? We know that life hands us pain. It's inevitable. I mean, that's a given. Life is going to hand us pain. And suffering, that really is up to us. How long do we want to suffer for? And, and a lot of people don't realize that. They're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, seriously, like, you don't have to suffer anymore if you don't want to, and I'll show you how. This is how we do it. And they're like, well, I never even realized that. Um, some people will um, go, go, go. Um, you know, they're busy, 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 busy. And if I ask them, like, you know, I mean, the business owners are the big one. I love working with them because – I ask them to slow down, like stop for a day. And they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, no, serious. Like, I want you to stop for a minute. And, they, and it's really hard for them. Um, could you imagine me saying to Tony Robbins, hey, Tony, can you sit still for a day? He'd be like, yeah, that's funny. Um, but who he is, that's just, that's his gift. You know, that energy that he has. Sure. But a lot of people will have a, a destiny that they're going after. You know, like I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I, you know, reach, I remember this one client, he said, well, you know, things are all right, but I know I'll, I'll be even better when I make uh, two more million. And I went, all right, well, uh, go make that two million and I'll see you when, you when you're done. And literally he called me a year later and said, what is going on? And I said, oh, come on, we're going to go meet. And I said, you forgot, you have a destiny, but you forgot the journey. Like, are you enjoying every day or are you just so focused on that destiny you forgot about living in the present moment? And he was like, I, you're right. I, I'm not living in the present moment. I can't even tell you what, remember half of the year because I was so focused on getting that money and that was it. That's all that mattered. So that's a big one. Um, you know, being present, being able to stay focused on, you know, where are you? Are you, 
are you happy? Are you content? I do um, coaching for couples often. And the funny part is that we are so messed up when it comes to teaching men and women how to be a couple and do it in a healthy way. And um, I had this couple that went to, they were going to court and they were going to get a divorce and said, all right, let's just, we're going to do one more try. And so they hired me and I said, you know, I find out that this one is griping about this and this griping about, and I went, mm, don't want to hear it. I, I, that's not, that's not what I want to hear. I get that you two are just so apart right now that you're blaming each other. But I want, what I want you to do is tell me why did you fall in love with to begin with? What was it about your wife? What was it about your husband? Um, and then they kind of just sat back a little bit and you could see their shoulders come down. They're not ready for the fight, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, I said to the husband, women, unfortunately we go right, left, right, left, right, left on the brain. Men only have one side and it's a toolbox. And you go in and you pull the tools out and you fix it. And unfortunately so many times men want to fix their women when they're bitching. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me and um i'm like don't don't try to fix it that even gets her madder huh and he goes yeah actually it does she goes oh yeah it really gets me mad um, <laughs> and and so i said listen let her storm she's storming but she needs to know that she's safe enough that with you that you can handle it but every time you try to fix her you're telling her there's something wrong with her and there's nothing wrong with her. She's just been back and forth all day long, right, left, right, left from doing multiple things. So if you just let her storm and let her know that you're not going anywhere, you're not judging her, she will turn into this mush bucket and love you like no tomorrow. And so many women are like, I don't know if that will happen. I said, well, we'll see, we'll see. And so this couple, the guy called me um, three weeks later and he's like, Debbie, Debbie, you know, like what, what happened? What happened? And he said, you are not going to believe this. He said, I came home the other day and I could hear her upstairs and she was screaming. And I went, uh-oh. And he said, Debbie said, do the storm, do the storm, do the storm. So I just stood there and she come down the stairs with a basket of laundry under her arm and she just blah, 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 blah. And I just stood there. And when she was done, I realized what she needed. I know her well enough. I'm not stupid, but am I ignorant sometimes? Yeah, like that's her job. You know, that's the ignorance of me. And, and what I realized was she needed a little help. So I grabbed the laundry basket and went and started folding the clothes. And she was like, what? And so what happened was, unfortunately, the clothes didn't stay folded long because they had sex on the folded clothes because she was so happy. She's like, oh, honey. And then he's like, I'm like, oh, my God, is that what happened? He's <laughs> like, yeah, it was great. He said, she just, I get it. I get it now. I get it. Like, I just need to understand what are her needs, and then my needs will get met automatically. And it's amazing how that works. So, Deb, we talked about when we were talking about addiction, that the root cause of addiction a lot of times was some kind of trauma. What is the root cause of relationship problems? Is it also trauma, or is it something else? Um, honestly, I think it's in our society today. We, don't, we have not been teaching men and women how to interact 
in a healthy way. I mean, we just haven't, we don't listen to each other. We have no idea. I have this um, a quiz that I do. I'm currently redoing my website. And if anyone would like to go on it after, when I get it back up and running, I'm gonna put a quiz out there, it's six human needs quiz, and it will tell you what needs you're running off of. And, and you wanna to try to stay balanced. Um, you don't want all of one need and not on the others. You know, you really want all these six needs, they're, they're a core of who you are. And, and you're, you end up being very fulfilled if you have those balanced and you enjoy life. It, it's amazing how uh, Chloe and Tony came up with that, the six human needs. And it was um, amazing when I took the test, I was like, wow, that's pretty accurate. And so I started working on what needs that, that I was lacking in. And, and now I feel like it's like life is, I can't get any better. It just can't. I love life. It's awesome. So in addition to going over those six human needs and finding out what your partner's needs are and what your needs are, what are some other sort of practical ways that people can improve their relationships? Let's say they're in a, in a good relationship right now. How can they, what are some easy tips for making it better? Uh, get playful. Let the kid inside come out. Um, so many people will not get playful. That is one thing that I've noticed across the board is people are like, no, I don't need to do that. No. I'm like, let your little kid out. No, no. And I'm like, oh, we got to find the relationship. Because many people are disconnected from that little person that's inside. We all have archetypes. And, and that little person is, is a big one. You know, if you have shut that kid up for years and years and years, you, you need to let that child be heard and validated. So it's really important that we speak our truth, um, know that we're going to be okay. Uh, there is some horrific stuff out going on out there in this world, but you know, for the most part, if we can help someone realize that you can change this today from here forward, if you want, and get away from the bad stuff and start to get on the light side. And, and it's amazing how, I will never go to the dark side ever again. Well, well, you know, like maybe a little dark would be that crazy biker girl or something. I don't know. You know, when I'm playing <laughs> archetypes, I don't know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so what's next? Can you tell us about your, I know you've got a new membership program that you're working on and um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I got it. Um, I decided that I'm going to probably create this membership. And it will be for people that want to stop happy hour and it will be very limited. And one of the big things that I do know about like, you know, like AA people, um, it's a community that really works with AA. It's a, it's a being together with other people that can understand what you're going through and it helps you um, realize you're not alone. And, and, some people go, oh, I don't need anybody. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, let's try this. And before they know it, they're really good friends with someone in a group. And, and that's the part that I think we're missing is we need more, more membership groups where people can go and identify with someone, move as quick as they want or as slow as they want, you know, get through their membership, get to your, whatever your goals are. And you can either stay or go. And, and most people will stay. Um, uh, I, I've seen that just from studying uh, membership groups. So that's my next, my next endeavor. And this is a group that's going to be focused on relationships or overcoming addiction? 
Um, this group will be um, overcoming addiction, uh, overcoming alcohol. Okay. Yeah, happy hour. Alcohol specifically. All yep, right. yep, yep. All right. And, yeah. and can you tell us how to get a hold of you? If somebody's watching this and they want to learn more about either that membership program or one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching that you do, how can they find out more about you? you they can go to um, thetruthaboutaddictions.com. That's the website. It's currently being worked on, but um, it should be up within the next couple of days. And um, you can email me at um, the truth about addictions at gmail.com. Or if someone would like to call me, they can call me and I'll give the number at 352-397-6311. Great. And I'll put all that information at the bottom of the screen and in the comments for people to, to look at as well. So Debbie, thank you so much. Anything else you want to say or, or talk about? I just, um, you know, if, if anything, you know, fear is facing reality and running or facing reality and, you know, like it, it's just you either running from it or you're, or you're facing it. And a lot of times you just go through it and you don't have to do it again after that. You know, when you go through that fear, you're, you're done. You, you go through it. And, and I'm not saying it won't pop up. We all have fear. Um, I have fear. I know even Tony Robbins has fear. Um, we're, that's us being humans, but do we stay in it is, is a question. And so I hope that people realize that, grab it, grab it and run and see what happens. What if, what if you go through that fear and you start enjoying life? Well, Debbie, that's a very inspirational life story and uh, some great tips that you've given us today. Thank you again so much for being here and thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time on the Fear and a Purpose podcast. Thanks, thanks Ryan. Debbie. Bye.